Shmai, good evening. I'm Pauline Burt from Film Company Wales. Um, it gives me real pleasure this evening to introduce an incredibly accomplished and talented uh, filmmaker whose works and films have travelled all over the world and won many awards, including this film winning the debut um, Filmmaker Award uh, for BAFTA, um, the Carl Foreman Award, award um, BAFTA Cymru's Best Film and Best Director Award, and it's travelled to San Sebastian, Miami, um, Bratislava, and many, many more places beyond that. Um, her film, A United Kingdom, opened the London Film Festival uh, last year, where she was also awarded an MBE for services to film. Please join me in welcoming Amara Sante. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we'll, we're going to have a bit of a conversation. We're going to try our best not to cry, um, <laughs> because I think it's, um, it's uh, quite an emotional evening all round. Um, and then we're going to open it up for questions uh, later on. So we kicked off this evening, Alma, uh, with a film remembering uh, Peter. And obviously he was your producer and someone who championed talent. And I wondered if you could speak a bit to how you got to know him and how he supported you. I can, indeed. Um, well, I first met Peter um, probably about six months before I started writing A Way of Life. Um, I had, I was off the back of a process where I had written a couple of series of something for the BBC and um, uh, whilst it was a great project to work on, it was very, very formulaic. And uh, I met uh, Peter at BAFTA one day, I was introduced to him at an event which was celebrating Welsh film um, at BAFTA's UK, BAFTA UK's um, headquarters in London and I was sort of just thrown in front of him uh, and he was introduced to me as the head of drama and I thought, good Lord, I'd better say something intelligent. Um, so I said to him, well, you know, Wales has some of the oldest black communities in Europe. You know, what are you doing on your channel to reflect that? And I was so proud of myself. And um, he sort of looked at me and sort of said, I'll, I'll see you in a bit and something like that and sort of walked off and I thought oh god you know I've gone and pissed someone off basically and um, it was a very busy event and I didn't really see him again for the rest of the event and about six weeks later I got a phone call uh, at home um, and it was this very um, quiet formidable voice on the end of the phone saying are you the young woman that I spoke to at BAFTA a few weeks ago and I wasn't quite sure who I was speaking to and then I sort of worked it out and um, he said, I've been looking for you for a long time. And uh, he was going to be back up in London a, a couple of weeks later. Um, and he wanted to meet to speak more about the question I had asked him. And I kind of just want to let that hang there for a moment because, you know, whilst I thought he had sort of dismissed me and walked away, what had happened really was that he'd sort of walked away to think about what I had said and had come back to try and do something about it. 
and um, I, I went to meet him a week later and we sat down and we, we talked for a long time. We talked about all sorts of things in relation to stories and um, the industry. And at the time, you know, he was, what he eventually said to me is, I'd like you to write something for um, HTV Wales, as it was at that particular point. And I said, well, what would you like me to write? And he said, whatever whatever moves you whatever you would like to write and I'd never been given that opportunity before I didn't really know what that meant it's sort of a bit like uh, taking a child to a really high class restaurant and giving them the huge menu and saying pick something um, and then out of his briefcase he took out a few um, articles on a, uh, a particular subject and a particular um, uh, crime event that had happened um, in Newport several um, uh, a couple of years before I think it, it I think it was and, he, and then he had some other articles that were quite similar but not about the same crime and what they all had in common were that they were they were female-led uh, gang crime so it was boy gangs but the the, the, the leader was a woman and um, you know, we started sort of talking about the nature of race and the nature of racism and racism as a symptom. Mm -hmm. And and that conversation really just went on from there. And so then I went away and I had a long think about it. And eventually um, I started to, to put together the, the script for A Way of Life. Um, I think the key thing to say is that Apart from just coming off of the back of this TV series that I'd been doing for the BBC, I'd also been developing something with a, a, another London-based um, production company. And had I was really coming from a place where I felt very, very penned in, and I really felt like my wings were being clipped. And the development producer on that used to walk around literally with a ruler and a red pen, and she would put you know two red lines through a word. And so, which, which makes you frightened and makes you question every word you put down on paper. And what began to evolve even before I started writing with Peter was this just this sense of, you can, and it will be fine. And if it's not fine, you'll just do something else and that will be fine. And so there was, there was this relaxed confidence that I'd never really experienced before and that I started to quickly get used to because I realized that Peter wasn't the kind of producer that sort of and trust me they exist that allows you to feel comfortable for a while and then pulls the rug from under your feet and then allows you to feel comfortable and just when you think everything's okay pulls the rug from under your feet what he was brilliant at was 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 building your confidence to a place where you started to speak in your in your own voice and use your own language and um at the time it was just going to be a one hour um you know piece for um I, uh, htv wales i finished the first draft and he looked at me one day um down at the htv offices and he said you know i i I, th I think we can do more with this film. I think I, I want it for my channel. I know that's where I want its, its end home to be, but I think we can allow other people to see this outside of Wales, because I think that this is a, a universal story, which of course is very specific to Wales, but it also has universal qualities that lots of people will, will be able to identify it fly with around the world. And it was, I've said it many, many times, it was really Peter who taught me that idea that in the, in the detail you can get the universal. 
and that and he led me to that that place and so eventually it became um it became the film that you see today and i, I really want to say one one final thing about that it's i was just looking at the screen credits and as peter's name came up i suddenly realized that under producers he's a third on the list and again, I think that's a testament to who Peter was, because Peter was the producer of A Way of Life. That's just the bottom line. And the reason why he appears third on the list is because um, he's humble, number one. And number two, because uh, we, we received money, we received lottery funding money, and lottery funding money couldn't go to a broadcaster. And so... Um, Tantrum Films, which existed uh, between me and my then husband, had to be the recipients of the money. And because I didn't want to produce, uh, I was not a great producer, I'd done it in TV and didn't love it, uh, the, the, my partner in that company came on board. And so Peter was the producer of that film. And in any world of real equality or fairness, his name would be first in that list. Thank you for sharing that. I think lots of people in this room will recognise that, um, the person he, he was, um, and also the space that he gave people um, to find their voice. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the, the process of making the film, because it's, um, it's a very brave and very challenging and very bold film, and um, you weren't the only um, first-timer, as it were, on a feature in terms of that with your lead actress, with Stephanie, um, and incredibly complex and rich and difficult scenes um, to, to get to that place. I wonder if you could talk a bit about that. Well, it's interesting, because I saw the film again in London for the first time in 10 years, um, and I saw it on 35mm, and um, it's very strange. I haven't made another film with which I can... Uh, I'm, that I made long enough ago to have been able to leave it for 10 years before going back and revisiting it. And what struck me um, was, if I say so myself, what a courageous filmmaker I was then compared to today. And I'm really sorry. You will hear Peter's name a lot tonight in this. But, but I, 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 again, I think that's testament to the courage um, that Peter allowed me. And, you know, there were times that I think he was actually nervous about wh where we were going with the story and what we were doing with the story. But he never once said, we mustn't do it. You know, whenever he became a little bit nervous, he would think about it, we would talk about it, and he would say, no, we must do it. We must, we must, we must keep the authenticity and the honesty. And so I think it, it was important to, in that authenticity, to, um, to face the fear. Um, I think it was important to work with um, a first-timer like Stephanie, um, who was incredibly talented but would bring... Um, not just not just a rawness to the character, but also um, uh, a believability to it in the sense that, you know, I was writing about a, an age that I remembered very well at the time. I've completely forgotten it now. But that time where you're not child anymore, but you're not woman. And it feels like forever when you're in it. But by the time you grow out of it and you look back, you realise it feels like it was 10 minutes in your life. 
And at the time, Stephanie was that. Stephanie was in a place where, you know, one minute you'd put the camera on her and she would be a complete woman. And the next minute you'd be, you'd put the camera on her and she would be a complete child. And I didn't, I learned from that because I've just finished editing a film now where I needed the same thing. And I was very, very lucky to be able to find that in an actress who, again, is able to carry all the layers and the nuance. But normally, normally when you're casting that kind of role, you're, you sort of, in order to deal with the more complex areas of the character, you have to go with somebody older. But then, of course, it's really difficult to create a, a situation where they unsee things, where they unlearn things, where they don't know what they already know. And with Stephanie, I didn't have to do that. So it was um, the courage to work with other first-timers. It was the courage to to go to places in my own head and acknowledge things about myself, um, that uh, things that are not comfortable to necessarily acknowledge. I remember doing one interview, I can't remember, I think it was for The Times or... Um, maybe the guardian where they said you know what character do you identify with most and of course they were obviously expecting me to say you know the character of julie the half turkish girl and of course i said well leanne you know she's my lead and 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 everybody was quite shocked but the reality is the question i had to ask myself is who would i be were i uneducated excluded um poor, white, living in a world that once had um, structure, once belonged to community and had had all of that ripped away from it, who might I be? And Leanne was the answer I came up with. And so to, to kind of, to, to face that isn't easy. And I remember when, you know, many of the cast are here tonight, and uh, Stephanie's just had a baby, a beautiful baby that I saw a couple of hours ago, and that's why she's not here. But when we, we took the film around the world, I can remember we went to Toronto, and the first screening we did, a man looked at the screen, looked at Stephanie sitting next to him, and got up and left. Um, you know, immediately after he saw the first scene where the Turkish Cypriot neighbour is, is attacked. And I can understand why he did, but the film is not designed to make you feel comfortable. It is designed for us to face our darkest demons, both in terms of who we are as a society and what we as a society are culpable in and facilitate and who we might be as individuals, but for the grace of God. I think part of the real sophistication of, of it is the way that you, know, you look at how circumstances impact on the characters and how poverty impacts on the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so whilst the film has obviously race is a sort of thematic and a tool and a lens to look through it. It seems to me to be about social injustice. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you know, I've been asked many a time, um, there are lots of um, similarities or, or similar themes that people see um, running through my films. Um, but it's often the, the, the surface ones that they pick up on. You know, race is simply a tool to explore, explore exclusion and, um, and injustice in, in many ways. Um, and, you know, I've been asked, and actually recently when, when we screened the film to uh, a, a sort of a new generation of viewers, if you like, um, I was asked, you know, what it was like to kind of make a film where there were no black characters. It was completely about race, but there were no black characters. And 
And I, my answer was because racism is a construct. It's something that we've, you know, if you took out colour, we, you know, we find religion. When we take out religion, we find something else. And when there's nothing left, we'll go to eye colour, we'll go to hair colour, we'll, we'll go to height, we'll go to weight, you know, we'll find something else. And so it's a way to explore who we are as human beings, what we need and why we need what we need. I think the other thing that um, struck me about that and about the social injustice aspects of the film is how, I mean, the film came out in, what, 2004? Yeah, 2004, five, yeah. Um, and re-watching it, it feels so resonant for today. I don't know if others felt like that. Um, and I wonder what you feel about that, whether that's a sort of indictment about society or whether you're pleased that it's, you know, stood the test of time or a combination of those things. It, it is a combination of those things in a way. You know, of course, there's a large part of me that wishes it, it, it had not <laughs> withstood the test of time. Um, there's a part of me that wishes that it sort of reflected an era and something that we've passed through. But in many ways, you know, when I was making this film, I was expressing a deep, deep concern about... Um, uh, about structures that I could see unraveling and about results that I knew were to come and we see them today. We see them with Brexit. We see them with the way that um, Europe is choosing to go and we see it to a large extent in America as well. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I thought I would be lambasted for it. I thought I would be hung out to dry in the sense because, you know, the point I was trying to make is if we honestly think, and this is why, you know, Hassan in the film, Hassan in the film is my father. And when he says, you're not even my equal, I remember my father saying that to some um, young men who had, I don't know, destroyed his car or we, would, we used to get all sorts of things through the letterbox like matches and um, and, and uh, graffiti on our walls and all sorts of things. And I remember my dad telling um, one of the local boys off and me thinking, oh God, I'm the one that's going to suffer um, because I'm the one that still has to go to school. I'm the one who still has to walk through the streets. I'm the one that's going to get it because my dad has just told one of the local boys that he's not his equal. But I kind of, you know, I do remember my dad's attitude being, you know, you stay away from those children. And I think that, you know, if we honestly think we can keep our children away, we can go on excluding, we can section off society in that way and we can we can leave other people's kids to rot and we can leave parts of society to rot, then really we've got another thing coming. Because the idea that, you know, certain sections of the population may not be able to read or write or may not be bothered to go out and vote only means that when somebody comes along who speaks in their voice and who speaks a language that appears to be offering them hope, they will go out and vote and they will vote in a way that everybody else who has, who has felt excluded all, all of this time uh, may find detrimental. And so it is in our interest as a society and as communities to allow everybody to have a stake in that society and allow everybody to have a value within that society and for that society. And when we don't, we destroy our society. And so I, I, I felt that there would come a time when those that we were excluding would 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 find a voice and that voice would express itself 
in a way that wouldn't necessarily always be uh, what the whole of society wanted and I felt that we, we as a community we could do something that, that, that could be so much more um, cohesive and so much more uh, so much more together and so much more in a way that was so much more inclusive that we did we wouldn't have to hurt each other in order to um, to feel relevant you know and I suppose I mean there's a lot of conversations and have been and a lot of it has been taught, but about you know diversity, etc. Whether it's industry level, whether it's more about wider society, and they seem to have been quite simplistic conversations at some level. You know, they're about well, is it about gender? Is it about race? Is it about you know whatever box one wants to be put in? Absolutely. Um, but these are themes that it's it's not about any of those things. It's showing the complexity and the nuances, and about it seems to me about self de self defining. Um, there's a very good TEDx Brixton talk, by the way, that you should look out that um, that Amma did, which was very much around that. And I wondered if that was worth maybe exploring. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I'm thinking as you speak, and what what's really interesting is, you know, I, I'm watching the tribute film to Peter. Um, you know what, P Peter. T reminded me that community you know how important community was by the way that he behaved within the context of his own set of communities um and uh he was very much about identity and he was very much about um what personal and cultural and community voice meant and all of those things were deeply important to him but in terms of everything that you've just you've just talked about in terms of the way that we talk we talk about diversity today and the way that we simplify it and the way that we're not even able to talk about intersections um, in in any any um, nuanced way um, you know you only have to go onto Twitter for a moment to see that you know the word woman is often not even synonymous with black women it, does, it doesn't even include you know it's almost like black women are, are a separate entity rather than an entity that is encompassed within the context of, of women. So intersections are not even, you know, are rarely even um, discussed within the, the wider world. And it's only where you get, you know, um, communities within social media now where you, you, and, you know, where you see these nuances being discussed in any great way. And the reason why I bring Peter up is because, you know, it's very clear that, you know, so many people that we saw in that film were different to me. They were not Welsh. <laughs> Sorry, they were Welsh. I'm not Welsh. What Peter did was he reached... Peter was exercising um, his diversity bone long before anybody was talking about it, long before it became trendy or long before... Um, people started talking about it before and, and never actually doing anything about it. And to, to the best of my knowledge, you know, I never had a conversation where Peter sat down and said to me, you know, and as a black woman, you know, that that conversation never came up. And yet, who were the black female filmmakers? In the UK prior to that, they did they did exist. You know, we have Ngozi Amora and we have other people, but there were so few. And for for, for 
from my point of view, it seemed it didn't seem like it was a task or it was a do good thing or it was in an effort to tick a box at HTV Wales. It felt like the most natural thing for Peter to come to me and say, express your voice in whatever way that might come out. And so for me, the, the nuance and um, the complexities that you see within the context of this, this film um, reflect very much what I learned from Peter, who Peter was as a man, um, as who Peter was as a, as a creative and as an artist, um, you know, principles that that I've learned from and in many ways I try and follow myself today in terms of when I'm reaching out to um, creatives and artists who are emerging and sort of coming up after me. Um, diversity is more than a word, it's more than a box, it's more than just a few key buzzwords. It's in many ways it's an action and I, I can't imagine what our industry would be like, our UK industry would be like, if more people felt like Peter. I mean, like the idea that you, you don't have to sacrifice who you are as a Welsh man to give an opportunity to a black female who is English. If more of us understood that you, 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 you can, you know, we can walk and chew gum and it's fine. Um, I, I think we'd have a stronger industry and I think audiences would have far more interesting films, variety of films to go out there in television to, 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 to sit and challenge themselves with. I hear to that. Um, I think almost every day that I spoke to him, he would talk a lot about any, any well, it's just giving, not only giving voice, but just seeing stories we can relate to that everybody can relate to absolutely and um, we spent a lot of time talking about um, the valleys communities absolutely um, of course a very impoverished communities and but how to celebrate and tell their stories on their terms yes um, which was um, yes I mean Peter, Peter about. Talk, talked about representation before representation was ever a buzzword in the industry I mean it's absolutely everywhere now but 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 how does it really um, how does it really show itself at the moment other than through box ticking in many ways? And I think it's, it's not useful and it's not helpful in that way. It's useful when, when it comes from a place of appreciation and understanding. I do remember, and I, I said this on, you know, during the interview that I did um, at BAFTA, which was to promote the, this BAFTA tours tour, which is that... Y you know, one of the things that he, he taught me that has always been so important to me is this idea that the detail matters. And I remember saying to him, I'm, I'm worried now that I've made it so detailed that, you know, when we go off to Argentina, you know, they won't know what we're talking about and they, you know, they, they won't understand. It's, it's, it's so specific to a particular world. And uh, first of all, I didn't expect that we'd be screening it to a room of 600 people in Ar Argentina. And secondly, I never expected a queue that kind of would go around the auditorium because the very opposite of what I feared was true. And, um, you know, I remember having a conversation with Peter about it afterwards. And, you know, he didn't say, I told you so, but he was not in the slightest bit surprised. He was happy and jubilant about it, but not in the slightest bit surprised that they should be, be able to identify with the work because he absolutely understood that um, 
that if you re really, really properly tell the story of an African man in a particular country in Africa and, and the detail of his life, there is no reason why a Welsh man in the valley should not be able to identify with that, or woman, in, in some way, it, if you really concentrate on the authenticity of, of, of that man's life and world. And, yeah. Because we're more alike than we're different. We are. Yeah. We are. Um, I've... I um, heard you speak once um, talking about your influences and talking about um, Ken Loach and Kez. Um, and I think that I would see him as a filmmaker who's quite um, political. I don't necessarily see you as a political filmmaker a, a, at all. I mean, everybody has got your own, everyone's got their own voices, you've got sure, your own voice. Sure. But I wonder how you see um, the purpose of films, how you want audiences to engage, what you want them to take away. Well, there are some people, of course, that say everything is political, um, in a way. And, um, you know, what, what I want to be able to do, I suppose, is offer proof of the statement you just made, which is that we're more, we're more similar than we are dissimilar, but also that even in our differences, um, it's still which are important, you know, those, di those differences can be very, very important. Um, the, there's no reason why we can't appreciate each other. So I want to be able to take, I don't know, the white man in the valleys or the white man who works in the city and walk him through the streets of 18th century London um, in the shoes of a, of a black woman um, who's 19 years old and have him have either of those two guys truly identify with, with her and, and, and truly be moved by her journey. And what I mean by that is be in a different place at the end of the film than he was at the beginning. I want to be able to do that with women as well. I want, I want to be able to take you on journeys um, and open windows on other people's lives um, through film so that we can understand why and how we connect as human beings. That's... That's my, and I want to make you feel through that, in that process, whether it's anger, whether it's laughter, whether it's um, happiness, whether it's tears, you know, I want you to be able to feel and give you two hours of feeling something. And you've used across your, your films to date very different sort of genres, different sort of scales, and I wonder how you think about how you want to approach and not be put in a box from that point of view either, whether it's a sort of a roman romantic uh, film, whether it's a sort of historical biopic. I mean, well, it's funny because my, my, my journey has really been dictated by the fact that after I made A Way of Life, I was desperate to make the film that I've only just made, Where Hands Touch. And, um, and the interesting thing was that for financiers, that was a scary, that was a scary thought to them. Um, Where Hands Touch is set in 1940s Berlin um, and tells the story of, um, well, it's set against the historic backdrop of the biracial children who were born between the wars, who were born between first, the First World War and the Second World War and a coming of age just as Hitler's... Um, Nazi world is really is really taking hold and that was considered too big for me and so um 
you know, after a way of life, there were, you know, the calls to my agent sort of were, well, she, you know, she, we know she can do really raw, but can she do anything polished? And so one of the reasons why I did Belle was to prove, well, just how British I can be and just how polished I can be. And, you know, it can't really get any more polished than Belle. And then, of course, you know, they all said, well, she's very polished. Can she do anything, you know, raw and, you know, and then... Um, and then I took on a United Kingdom because I wanted to show that I could take on scale and that I could do something quite epic. Now, a United Kingdom isn't quite as epic. We don't go to Africa. Um, but, um, sorry, where, where Hands Touch isn't quite as epic as a United Kingdom. But um, I, I had to prove myself before I was allowed to be financed in the movie that I'm making today. And that's really what's dictated my my journey and so you know with each film I've tried to prove what I can do with each of my different creative muscles um, and I found that I've had to do that as a woman I found I've had to do that as a newbie you know at what point are you no longer a newbie um, and certainly as a woman you're a newbie for a lot longer than you are as a man for sure so um, you know um, and I've had to prove myself as a person of color because the you know as I said in my TED talk they just aren't that many filmmakers who come in my shape and flavour. And so there is always a little bit of suspicion as to, you know, what the end product will be that I deliver. And so it's... And that's why, in many ways, I say, you know, A Way of Life is, is my most dangerous film to date. Because I think the two films that came subsequently were to ensure everybody that I was okay and safe as a filmmaker and then with Where Hands Touch I return to more dangerous ground once again. It's interesting in, in the same way that perhaps you talked earlier about you know finding ways to define yourself that seems like a kind of industry equivalent of that industry wanting to kind of dictate what the steps Absolutely. are, what your progress is. Yes, yeah, yes. Um, I mean again I say it in my TED talk a little bit um, you know, I'm married to a Dane, um, you know, and he's you know got blue eyes and and he's male and and you know he walks um, a different pathway to me, um, and you know whilst he's walking a pathway, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope most of the time, and so I'm very aware of of that question, and it may even be out there today, which is come on, is it really that difficult? But the really good thing is that the facts don't lie, the statistics don't lie. And, and the statistics are there for a reason. So the fact is, as I say in my TED talk, I represent 0.4% of the industry. I don't even make up 1% of the industry. I am the exception that proves the rule in many ways. And so because of that, it's, it has been very important for me to not allow the industry or the society to define me because because by the very nature of that point something figure that I represent, the simplest answer always is you can't. It won't work. Don't do that. You know, you can't make a film with an 18th century character who's black and put her front and centre and have this whole thespian cast of, you know, solid British actors behind her, but make this more or less unknown, um, you know, actress the 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 the, the the heart and soul of the piece. Um, you know, can you really tell a love story that's set in Africa where, you know, the each of the characters 
are both leads and that the balance is absolutely 50-50 and one of them being a black man and have, you know, and, and, and have that film be, you know, a decent success. Can you, can you really do that? And so I think I thrive on challenge to a certain extent. I have to, I have had to make that the way that, that I exist. Um, but the truth is, women have to prove themselves in increments and the stats show you know that a, a man can make a much smaller you know they can make an away of life size film and jump to a blockbuster and it's much harder for a woman um to be able to do that the, the steps are sh shallow and you climb them slowly and you eventually get there but i'm 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 it's the long game well Yes, but I also look back and I see you were acting in Grange Hill in what was that sort of, was it 84, somewhere around about there? I'm sure it's more Maybe. like 2000. <laughs> really not that old. <laughs> and then so the next credit I see is you lead writing, creating, producing the series Brothers and Sisters for BBC Two. And that doesn't strike me as a small step to do. That feels bold and courageous and incredibly... Um, accomplished so I wonder how incremental it really was or what do you think might be behind that is it confidence or well I think the truth is that I, I only recently I would say in the last um, five years got into got to a place where I said I am going to plan what I do and I'm, I'm you know I'm going to have a plan and I'm going to move forward according to that plan prior to that sort of things just happened to a certain extent and I'm not sort of trying to do myself down but um, you know I had I, I stopped acting because I wasn't a good actress I love writing I believe I'm a fairly decent writer and um was very, very lucky in that I got projects developed. And, you know, my first project was seven scripts at Channel 4 and um, and it took three years to get through those seven scripts and what an amazing training ground, but it was never made. You know, at the same time, the BBC commissioned four scripts out of me. What a great training ground, but, but it was never made. Um, but without those two development deals, I wouldn't have been able to do um, Brothers and Sisters. So I think that, what's that saying that, that luck is actually opportunity meets preparation and so I think those two projects gave me the preparation I needed so that when the opportunity came along and the BBC said oh we need a drama I was sort of ripe and ready um, to write something the producing came into it because I didn't understand that I wanted to direct I wanted to see my characters th through to fruition on screen and uh, I had never had a concept of directing because no director I'd ever met looked anything like me and so but I had met a few producers who were women of color so I thought well I can produce this and I can sort of try and hold on to something of the story that I've written so it doesn't you know evolve into on screen as something completely different um, and, and that's how that worked out. And it made sense to then start a company and do that because I hoped that that meant I would have more control over the project. Um, but as it happened, you know, I evolved from that and just thought, I don't, I don't enjoy producing. It's way too much hard work. And, and it's, um, I'm not good at it. And I, I think the key really has been to find out what 
work out what I'm good at and also what I enjoy, be very honest with myself about what I'm not good at and and believe that there's somebody out there that I can find who will be better at producing than I will be and who will, who, who will believe in me now, as it was sort of Peter found me, but, but that's what I've tried to do. It wasn't until after A Way of Life, as I say, and then I wanted to make Where Hands Touch that I thought I'd better get a plan together um, because I can't, I don't want to leave this film in a drawer. I want to be able to, to, to have it meet an audience and come to life. Opportunity meets preparation sounds like a pretty good tip to me. Um, I want to give the audience an opportunity to ask some questions. Does anybody have a question for Emma? At the back. Hi, good evening. Um, hi there. Hi, Mike. Um, I thought it was really interesting what you said about statistics not lying. Um, I find it really sad that as a 23-year-old mixed-race Welsh woman that this film is still as um, poignant today as it was when it was made. According to the Creative uh, Skill Set Census of Wales, um, the creative industries are 4% BME, despite the fact that Cardiff itself is 20% BME. In what ways can we make meaningful change that doesn't pay lip service to tokenization, especially in areas such as Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland? Thank you. I think it's a. Uh, I also think it's sad. I concur with your point there. Um, it's it's really really difficult because I think the problem with these, um, with a structure that's laid out like this, is it often puts the onus on the people who are excluded to try and do something about it, and it's actually got it's it really matters that the people who are inside. Um, uh, are the ones who. Um, are there to help perpetuate change. And I think that, I think that, well, I think, first of all, on our part, it, because we, we, we want to give ourselves agency and we don't want to feel like we have to sit there and wait for somebody to come to us before we can do something, which is partly why I became a writer. Um, so f I think on our part, I think the onus is on us not to waste time with people who don't trust us as women, as people of colour, you know, whatever whatever intersection you, you sit at, to keep moving until you find that producer who, who trusts in you, until you find that financier. I mean, I had to look outside of the UK to find, sorry, I had to look outside of London to find somebody who would trust and give me the freedom that I needed to really to really find my voice as a filmmaker, you know, the voice that I found, even though Bell and A United Kingdom are different, the voice that I found in A Way of Life has carried me through all of those films and continues to carry me now. And that's because I found someone who, who trusted in me and allowed me that voice. So the onus is to not waste time because we don't have time to waste. I think that... Um, one of the things that I've learned is if you don't shout about your accomplishments, they will be forgotten. So I have no problem shouting about my accomplishments, but also shouting about other women's and other people of colours. So when we think about what Wonder Woman's, Woman is doing, it's irrelevant as to whether that's your kind of film or not. That's a woman's film that is that is showing that there's no reason why films about women, by women, women can't sell. Um, I think one of the really interesting things about social media is it's galvanizing voices. So use social media to galvanize voice, your voice, but also money talks. So the fact that Wonder Woman is doing well now means that 
we're a bit hotter than we were before Wonder Woman. So try our hardest to take advantage of those times and those situations where other women are proving for us that we work. And I think that by being tenacious and not giving up, because it's so easy to just throw the towel in after five years or 10 years and just say, this is too hard, I can't do it anymore. But I think the onus is also on us to try and hang in there because we make it too easy for them when we give in. So I think it's about, it's about, I don't want to be an activist, but I sort of am. I just want to be a filmmaker. I just want to tell my stories, but I find that it's important for me to shout about it on Twitter or on Instagram when some, when another woman is doing really well. And for me, that's the small bit of activism that I, that I take part in. You know, um, I recently, um, was telephoned by somebody who's looking for, who was looking for a director to direct a TV series. It's a seven part TV series. It starts in September, it will carry on um, until March. That's a good, nice, long chunk of a job um, for the BBC. And it was very obvious for me that I had to recommend a black female for that job. A, because she's good, she was the right person, she had all the credentials, but it was, it was sort of positive discrimination in a way on my part to make sure that I push the women that I know in my, in my world because they're capable, but also push the people of colour that I know because they're capable. So I'm, I'm not... I'm saying that you have to try from the outside, and once you get in on the inside, you have to continue championing, and that's what I'm trying to do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I talk too much. <laughs> I've been told to cut, oh. but um, we could carry this on. And I know Hannah was saying we're going to be in the Kutch bar, sort of round the corner, um, if people would like to continue the conversation. But also, um, Gordon Main, Peter's partner from um, Barefoot Rascals. I don't know, Gordon, are you in the audience? Are you anywhere? You might be outside. There's a little room outside. Um, if anybody else would like to share their stories or their memories of Peter and to have that on film, um, Gordon would very much like to capture those stories and memories. So if you can make yourself known to either Hannah, who's at the back at the moment, or Gordon, um, or myself, um, we'll make sure that you get in touch with him and that can be done. Can I just, can I just give... Um a name check to my cast who have turned up tonight. Because um, I know, <laughs> and my crew as well. I hope I get everybody. So I believe Menir Stout is here. Is Menir here? She's still here, did she leave? Maybe she's not here. Okay, she was line producer. Um, Gary, and you don't have to stand up, you just have to wave. <laughs> don't stand up, just wave. Gary's not even waving. Okay, <laughs> it's a sort of wave. Okay, Nathan Jones is here. And Dean Wong is here. And Sarah Gregory is here, I believe. Sarah's got a new surname as well. No? Oh, good. And Sarah Gregory is here as well. And have I missed... And is Arwell here? Did Arwell come? No, Arwell isn't here. So I just wanted to say hello to you because I haven't been able to yet properly. Thank you. Thank you. You've been a real inspiration. Please, please thank Amma. Thank you. Thanks.